Friends, I want to start our message today, a message that I've called uh, That Which Lasts, Things Which Last. Uh, I have a picture, it's a poignant picture. A number of years ago, a retired pastor uh, who was attending our church in Medicine Hat, where I was the lead pastor at that time, he was interested in church history, especially the history of the uh, early German Baptists on the prairies. We know that here in the Alberta Baptist Association, our oldest church, I believe, is at south side of Edmonton, a little church called Rabbit Hill Baptist Church. And uh, while Troshu itself, we are uh, 109 years old as a church, Rabbit Hill's a couple decades even older than us. But before these existing churches, there were little groups of believers who spoke the German language, who grew eventually into uh, NAB churches out here in the prairies, that uh, they planted churches and those churches flourished for a season and then they were gone. And this pastor wanted me to go with him because we were searching for a church that didn't exist anymore. We knew that the church building was gone, that there was no trace of it, that all that would be left was the church cemetery. And we knew the general area of it, so we drove down to the Cypress Hills. And if you've ever been to the hills, you, you know, the north slope of the hills are these tall, these long slopes covered with prairie grass. And we drove and we looked until finally we saw what was uh, probably the gate to the cemetery. That's all that was there. No fence, just a gate hanging askew. And so we got out and we began to walk, and then we found them. We found tombstones of a church that no longer was there. And we walked and we were going to take pictures, but the tombstones themselves, because of the sun and the wind and the rain, they were so eroded, they were so eroded that there was nothing on them anymore. There were no words, no dates, no anything. And you know what made me think, if that is our only legacy that we leave behind in this life, then those people would be entirely forgotten. But this morning, as I call the message, That Which Lasts, I want, to, I want to look at that notion of legacy. At the end of a year, we like to look back. If you turn on a news channel, it's going to be the year 2020 in review. And as my wife mentioned, I don't want to watch 2020 in review this year. I want to forget 2020 because all it is going to be is COVID-19. That's all it's going to be. And it'll get us frustrated all over again. But we tend this time of year to look back and to look ahead. So we want to have both of those uh, based on God's word, the teaching of God's word. I want to do a little bit of both of that today. I want to start with a poem. There was a man, his name was Charles T. Studd, better known as C.T. Studd. I have a picture of him there. If you notice him, he's sitting with a pith helmet. Uh, he's obviously, it looks like he's on safari in Africa, but I know exactly where he's at. He's in the Belgian Congo. It's 1930. He's a sick man, and he's within a few weeks of actually dying. Now, C.T. Studd was a famous Christian teacher. He was a famous author. He was a famous pioneer missionary. He was known as one of the Cambridge Seven, these Englishmen who pioneered the mission field, the modern mission outreach to the country of China. Now, though his focus in missions was mostly China, late in life, 
he felt a call to Africa. And though everyone told him to stay home, your health wouldn't permit it, he went to Africa and served the last 10 years of his life in the Congo, planting churches that exist to this day. You know, those in England who remember C.T. Studd, though, they remember him for something very different. When he was in his 20s, he and two of his brothers were the most famous athletes in Great Britain. Now, today you'd say, well, they must play English football, what we call over here soccer. They must be soccer players. No, the most famous athletes in those days played cricket, not rugby or soccer. They played cricket. And he was part of one of the most famous English national cricket teams. He and his two brothers, they played a series of matches. If you understand cricket, I'll admit right now, I don't. I watch it. I shake my head at it. I turn the channel from it. You know, but I, I, I respect it. It's, a, it's an old and it's a very English sport. Now, they play matches between countries, the national teams that they call test matches. And the most famous test matches in the world are between England and the other great cricket power, Australia, one of their colonies. Now, all the way back 140 years ago, there were these enormously famous test matches between the great English cricketers, the best team they ever fielded, and the new upcoming power, Australia. Now, for about 10 years, they played a series of matches that finally, around the year 1880, 1881, ended in a crazy, it's still discussed to this day, a crazy test match ended with England losing. The country was heartbroken. They had lost their crown to a colony, Australia. Now, the funny thing about that match was it's, it's become memorialized because the newspaper, the great newspaper in England, on the front page, they had a funeral notice for the death of English cricket, just like as if a famous person had died. English cricket is dead. They announced its funeral. They said it will be cremated and the ashes are going to go to Australia. Now, if you know cricket, you know the most famous matches in the world between England and Australia. They play for the ashes. They have as a trophy a funeral urn with the ashes of a bale, that's the, the upright wooden pieces that the wicket sits on and the bowler tries to knock off. They have the ashes of this old bale that goes back and forth to this day, 140 years later, between the two countries. Now you think that's what C.T. Studd would be known for. He would be known for being this great athlete. But he wrote later in life of what really counted in his life. He wrote a poem called Only one life. Now, for decades, I've known of this poem, but I only knew the first two lines of this poem, or the famous two lines of the poem, that give it its title. Now, C.T. Studd, reflecting back on his life as he was nearing the end of his life, he realized that all of those things, coming from a wealthy family, being a successful uh, a student and a teacher at Cambridge and Eton, being the most famous athlete in Britain, meant nothing to him. He wrote a poem, Only One Life, that had eight verses. This is the first verse. It reads, Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart, 
Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Now for years I heard about that. A friend of mine, she painted a little picture for me and it had the verse on it, that little stanza. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And I've always had that in the back of my mind when I've gone through life knowing that things that seem important today, unless they're done for Jesus' sake, they'll have no eternal consequence or value. C.T. Studd shared a lot of wisdom there. Only one life. This brief span of years that you've been given. You may be blessed with what we consider a long life, 80, 90, 95 years, but it's gone in a blink. You are like a breath on a cold day. You see it for an instant and it's gone. It's gone. So we want to look today at legacy. Are we like those weathered tombstones that no mark has left as we pass by? Is there no hope for us? Well, friends, I want to share today what C.T. Studd knew is that if you put your trust in Christ, you have hope. You can look back on life, but as the believer, even as he did in disease-ridden Africa near the end of his life, he could look forward with hope to an amazing future. I call it a hope that lasts. Because friends, what lies before the believer far outweighs what went before. We have eternity ahead of us in the very family of God. We don't begin to understand what that means, what we will be doing in heaven, the worship we'll have, the joy we'll have, the service we'll have of God through the ages. We can't comprehend it now, but we have the assurance of it. We have the hope of it. As this year we have said goodbye to some loved ones, we have lost them during this time. It seems we've been cheated, not being able to gather for funerals, to celebrate their lives and to look back on the legacy that they leave behind. But we know we will see them again. That's part of the hope we share, a hope that lasts. As the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, a famous passage. Speaking of the coming of Jesus, Paul wrote, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Paul says, we believe that Jesus rose again and he's going to come again. And that we who put our trust in him, we will have resurrection too. Because of that living hope, our grief has changed. We still grieve. Oh, we miss our loved ones. We grieve because we are separated from them for a season. But the hope we have, the sure and certain hope, is that soon we'll be back together. This week we heard that a wonderful man of God, longtime pastor of Carbon Baptist Church, longtime teacher at uh, Christian Training Institute, which became North American Baptist College, Dr. Willie Muller, a good friend to so many of us, that he, on the eve of Christmas, went home to be with Jesus, home for the holidays. As much as we'll miss Willie Muller, we'll see him again. We have that hope, and it changes our grief. We have tears, we have pain. But it's only for a season. We look forward with hope. 
and assurance to what lies ahead. The Apostle Peter, speaking before the crowd, spoke of what that hope is. Speaking of Jesus, said, But God raised him. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. Because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then he quotes King David. David said about him, and that's about Jesus, he was prophesying. I saw the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Think of the life of King David, knowing that God was at his side. All the hard things, all the ups and downs, all the terrors and struggles he went through, he was not shaken because God was at his right hand. Verse 26 of Acts 2, Therefore my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, my body also will live in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Joy in your presence. That is the hope, friends, that you and I share in Jesus. That's what lies ahead of us. We look back on legacy. We look forward with hope and joy. Because joy is our destiny. Joy in God's presence. Rejoicing in His presence forevermore. That's forward. But at the end of this year, we look back too. We look at the legacies that we're forming today. Not carving a legacy, just some simple dates on a tombstone. But so often our legacies are carved on the human hearts of the people that we come in contact with. Our deeds our deeds, our actions are a legacy. They form part of our legacy. What you do in life is part of a legacy. The Bible says that one day we'll stand before the Lord and all of our life will be judged. All of our deeds and our intentions and our, our motives behind those deeds will be weighed as God alone knows the whole truth. And we will be rewarded for those things we did. All other things will soon be passed, but only what's done for Christ will last. There are things that you do out of love for Jesus that will be celebrated in eternity. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. I'll begin in verse 10, the reading. Paul writes, By the grace... God has given me, I laid a foundation. He's talking about planting the church and building lives. I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it as they continued that church after he left. He continues, but each one should be careful how he builds. He's talking about your life. Every day you're, you're building a life. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Because that day, the day, he's talking about the day of the Lord, the great and terrible judgment day, the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, 
but only as one escaping through the flames. I love that picture. If we know Jesus, but our lives tend to still be self-centered, live for us rather than the glory of God and in service to others, there will be no reward for us for that type of life. We will have the greatest reward, salvation, being in heaven with everybody, but leaving this life behind, our legacy. I'm sure some of the saints will have a little bit of a smoky feeling about them when they first get there because the things of this life were burned up. But God desires to reward this life. He wants you to live for His glory and in service to others. And every little thing will receive a reward, whether it be something as simple as a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. God desires to celebrate and reward His children as they serve Him and others. What a precious thing. Our deeds in this life will be celebrated and rewarded in the future. Speaking of legacy, there's an amazing verse often overlooked. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 7 says, The memory of the righteous will be a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. Look at the picture of the old family Bible. You go through that and you remember your forebears, those who went before you. How many of you have been blessed by somebody? And their legacy is that every time you remember them, it puts a smile on your face. It brings joy to your heart because you think of their love and the care that they gave you. Maybe it's a parent who's been gone to glory for so many years. Maybe it was a mentor, a teacher, or a friend. The memory of the righteous will be a blessing. What a precious legacy our deeds leave behind when that memory is a blessing. The wicked, their names rot. They become a byword, a swear word. Nobody wants to think of you if you're a wicked person. That's a powerful verse. Just a couple examples examples of people whose deeds have become their legacy. They may have been done in the heat of a moment, but we always remember them for that deed. For instance, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy to come and bring a cloak for him and some of his scrolls because he's been left all alone. And he mentions a number of people who are on God's business, away doing other things. But one person who comes in for a bad legacy is a man named Demas. All we know about Demas is that he deserted Paul, in the, left him in the lurch, deserted the cause of Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says, Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. He loved the world more than he loved the war, the, before, more than he loved the Lord, more than he cared for the Apostle Paul and the ministry. He put himself first and he deserted him. And that desertion has become his legacy. Now think of an Old Testament story. You know either good things or negative things about people depending on their deeds. What about the legacy of Lot's wife? Now, Lot doesn't have a great legacy. He has positive and negative things. But when you think of his wife, remember, we're told of Lot's wife, we're told to remember her. Luke chapter 17, verse 32 says just that. 
remember Lot's wife. She's an example for us. Genesis 19.26 says that she disobeyed. Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. She became the example of disobeying God's word and the consequences of it. They said, leave Sodom and Gomorrah behind you in the rearview mirror. Don't turn around. Don't look back. Go straight ahead. She paused. She lingered. She looked back. And we always remember that legacy of disobedience. Our deeds can become a legacy. But not only our deeds, it's what the person behind the deeds are. That's often the most powerful legacy is the character of the person. Your character is a legacy. Is your character a loving character? Is it a caring character? I often see as a legacy in the years I've ministered, I have seen families, multiple generations, and I've seen how it's not just physical traits, color of hair, color of eyes, height, different things that we pass down. Oftentimes, the character of a grandparent or a parent is passed on as a legacy. And that can be positive. People of great faith raise children of faith. Loving people often pass that on and their, their, their descendants are loving people as well. But I've seen people pass on negative traits. Angry men raise angry sons. People who are difficult to deal with. And that is often rooted in the fact that they had a father who is angry and you could never please him. And your whole life you were living, responding to an angry father. He may be dead and gone for many years, but you're still angry and fighting with the world because of that legacy. I've seen women who lived their lives as a slave to fear. And what did they pass on to their daughter? Not their best cookie recipe. They passed on fear. They raised these women in fear. And I see that so often. A woman raises a fearful daughter who raises a fearful daughter and it goes on. And I always pray that the next generation only has boys. Boys who are hard-headed and it just doesn't sink in and they live their life apart from fear. Somebody needs to break that cycle because your character can be such a legacy. Well, in Scripture, we see a number of examples of that. God wants us to live and embody these characteristics. One that you see passed on wonderfully is faithfulness. Faithfulness. The book of Hebrews is good for faithfulness because it has a whole chapter devoted to people of faith. We call it chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews, the hall of fame of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 13 the author of Hebrews kind of sums up the life of faith. He says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. This is a characteristic God desires, faithfulness, simply trusting God 
having a faithful heart set on God as we go through this life as a sojourner, knowing that this world is not our home. We have a heavenly country waiting for us. Well, faithful people often serve others. That's a characteristic, a selfless characteristic that God desires from people as well. In Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, that is, live a sinful, self-centered life. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. That's a selfless serving life, a servant's heart. Somebody who's happiest when they're putting others first, serving others. It's a characteristic that is behind, a motive that's behind the deeds of our life. Those deeds leave a mark, they're a legacy, but much more powerful is the heart and the motive behind the deeds. And as mentioned there in Galatians, love is the characteristic, the motive, and the virtue that ties all of our life together. It needs to be the seasoning of every recipe that you make every day in your life. It all needs to be done from love. Love of God and love of others. As Jesus, in a passage we call the Great Commandment, alongside the Great Commission, Jesus says in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 30, 34, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Do you see that? That characteristic is a legacy. We write our legacy on human hearts. Now, before we move on, all three of these legacies, you may say, oh yeah, these are standard Christian things and we're going to be like this forever and ever. I beg to differ. This brief life you live. Some of us, if we look back, we're looking back on most of our life. We don't know how many days we have left. It may be many, it may be short. But as we look back, this has been our opportunity to live out these characteristics like no other time. In heaven, you won't be exercising faith. You won't have the opportunity to choose faith because you'll see God face to face. Faith, living by faith rather than sight, is in this world. This is the day of faith. Today you can live a life of faith, not in heaven. Well, serve it. We're going to serve Lord forever and ever. Yes, we will. But it's going to be not second nature. It's going to be first nature to us then. Now, it's not natural to put others before ourselves. We live in a broken, fallen, self-centered world. Selfishness is our standard setting. This is the opportunity to be selfless, to put others first, to be rewarded for that. And loving, well, loving is not natural selfishness is putting somebody ahead of ourselves in love can be a struggle in heaven it will come naturally to us it's who we will be through and through we won't have the sin nature to struggle with all of these are a challenge 
and they're accomplished by the grace of God as His Spirit lives out the life of Christ in us. And there's great reward and great blessing in doing them. That's our legacy. Deeds and character. And you will live on after you've gone home to glory in the lives of others. Your characteristics, good and ill, will be replicated in those that we have a lot of dealings with. Our lives and our deeds will be remembered, not only rewarded in heaven, but remembered in this life. As we think back on people who have gone ahead of us and what we will leave behind, I call that memory that motivates. There's a picture there. It's a dome of a church in Padua, Italy. I like this dome, not only because it has that great picture of Jesus in the middle. I first saw a dome like that in Jerusalem, in the most famous church in the world, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. The great dome in the church is over the tomb of Christ. It's called the Anastasis. It means life, where God gave life to Jesus as he raised him from the dead. But then if you travel a little bit from that main area, there's a smaller room called the Greek Choir. And I happened to be there looking at different things in the church, and I glanced up at the smaller dome, and it was so striking, this enormous painting of Jesus. And those pictures of Jesus in those domes, those are called, those are called Christ Pantocrator. Pantocrator, the Greek word means over all, almighty, all-powerful. And it really puts you in your place to have Jesus staring down at you. You realize he's above all and over all. But I like this dome because around Jesus, around Jesus is the great cloud of witnesses. All of the myriad men and women and young people of faith who we celebrate now, the memory of them. We look to them for encouragement and to learn the lessons of the lives that they have lived. That great cloud of witnesses that we remember today. Memory that motivates. There was a man. He's still living. He's down in the States. He's an American theologian. He's got a great name. His name is Leonard Sweet. Leonard Sweet, when it comes to legacy, he said something that I found very meaningful. He said, the things you do in this life, that becomes your history. That becomes your history. But the things that your life sets in motion, that's your legacy. For many of us, our legacy, the things we set in motion, are going to be the lives of our children and our grandchildren who live on past us. We set them in motion. We loved them and we trained them and we raised them up and we set them in motion. What you do is your history. What you set in motion is your legacy. <clears throat> and I look at that great cloud of witnesses and I think of all that they set in motion. The lives we live, we often forget those who went before us, but you're living the life you live today because of those who came before you. And that's what we want to do. Set the love of Christ in motion today. Following that great chapter of faith, chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews, we come to one of my favorite chapters, chapter 12, that reflects back on that. First, we're told to look to the faithful, those people who characterized faith in their lives. Hebrews 12, verse 1 begins, Therefore. 
since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We live our lives in part by taking our cue and lesson from those who have gone before us. They're the cloud of witnesses. They've witnessed by their lives to their faith in God. And we look to them and we learn those lessons and we run with perseverance the way marked out for us. We look to people like C.T. Studd, the early missionaries, others. We look to our parents and grandparents, people of faith who raised us up in the knowledge and the love of Jesus. We learn from them. But not only are we called in Hebrews to look at the faithful, finally, in conclusion, we're called to look to Jesus. That's one of the reasons He was incarnated as a baby at Christmas is to live a life in this world that we could look to and that we could learn from. Hebrews 12 continues in verse 2 and 3. We're told, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him. That's legacy work. Consider the legacy of Jesus, what He set in motion. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Well, it's easy to grow weary and lose heart in a year like 2020. But we're called daily to turn our eyes to those who have gone before us. Our forebears who lived through much more difficult times, much worse diseases. Think of those who lost so many loved ones during the Spanish flu epidemic. Think of those who have been through the great wars. Think of those who lost everything. People in our own church family who lost everything they had. <clears throat> in the Second World War, and had to come looking for a better life to Canada. We look at people of faith like that, and we're taught, and we're emboldened, and we learn from them. But ultimately, we turn our eyes to Jesus, what He was willing to endure for us, simply for the love of us. I conclude today where we began. That poem, Only One Life, it goes on at length. It's a good poem. Look it up online. It's eight verses long. We heard the first verse, and I want to conclude today with the final verse. C.T. Studd wrote, Only one life. Yes, only one. Now let me say, Thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, "Twas worth it all. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we stand at the brink of a new year, no one here knows what it holds. Lord, we look to it with a mixture of hope and fear Lord, people have fear that it's going to be as bad as the year that's gone before, as much upheaval, as much political turmoil, as much divisiveness and hatred in the world. But Lord, as followers of Christ, we look forward with hope. 
knowing that when we arrive at tomorrow, Jesus will be waiting for us there. He lives yesterday and today and tomorrow, and He never changes. Lord, help us to understand what we can accomplish in the brief span of years You give us, the only one life that each one of us has. Lord, help us to make a legacy, not carved in stone, but imprinted on human hearts, a legacy of faith and hope and love that motivates our actions. And Lord, through the people we have an impact on, that we set in motion faith and love for years to come. Lord, thank You for the year gone by. As hard as it was, Lord, it drew us closer to You. We don't rely on mankind. We don't rely on this world. We want to rely completely on You. And Lord, we thank You in advance for the year to come. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and keep you. We'll see many of you on New Year's Eve for the fireworks. God bless.